Welcome to Bottle of Brown, episode four. This episode is with my old buddy, General Tizzo. The general was supposed to join us for episode one, but circumstances kept him away. He's making up for it with this episode, and in a future episode, we bring our wives in for a double date to continue some of our conversations on business. I expect the general to be a reoccurring presence on this podcast, so I hope you enjoy this one. Thanks for listening. works what's up general how am i coming good. through you good jen's got this jabra speakerphone oh, bad okay. ass what's your brown what are you rocking today i'm rocking the, the classic the go-to the decoy that you guys got us into a little red wine a little vino tinto a little red wine and you need to drink some of that because it will make you a sexual tyrannosaurus <laughs> <laughs> just like me it'll make her feel the heat <laughs> Big guy with little arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I need a cup of coffee. Was it that late for you? Yeah, late night session. Well, these usually have to be late night because it's the only time you can carve away enough time to actually talk and also be without the kids. Yeah, little one is uh, getting a bedtime story right now, as a matter of fact. Oh, good. I see that you have some uh, little fuzz going on. This is my quarantine beard. Ooh, Okay. Rocking this action. And I did the quarantine haircut since you can't go anywhere to get a cut. We just went in the side yard and zzz. I guess you can't be growing a Super Bowl beard because your your boys aren't there anymore. No, and they they might. <laughs> I am a multi-hyphenate in terms of professional football. So I can roll with Tampa Bay. I can roll with New England. I can roll with Arizona. I can I can do all of it. I can be that kind of fan. Okay. So did you catch the first episode? No, I did. I I, I caught maybe five minutes of it. And uh, I appreciate the shout out because I was not there and I should yep. have been. Yep. Um, and then I just didn't catch the rest. I need to. Okay. So you're rocking the Dito, the decoy red wine, which is good stuff. I've had that. I am rocking Ooh, whistle, whistle pig. pig. You heard of whistle pig? No, I have now. Just picked it up. It's a rye. It's a straight rye. So um, good old boys is drinking whiskey and rye like that. That's the stuff. Yep. yep. So it's finished in bourbon barrels, hand bottled at Whistle Pig Farm. I don't know what that means. Aged 10 years and it's 100 proof. So it's about 10 points higher than my normal hooch. Ooh. And Ooh. I haven't felt it yet, but it is extremely smooth. Yeah. Low poke. Oh. You need a little poke in the end. Well, we talked about it in episode two, the warm Kentucky hug, which has to do with the spice and that kind of burn that goes down. He says that's strictly bourbon. He says hmm. rye is doing almost everything that the whiskey guys are doing, only it's one tweak of the ingredient, um, basically the same stuff, but it doesn't have that burn. Hmm. So rye, is, uh, rye is a very specific ingredient. Smoother then. Yeah, it seems a little smoother. I think hmm. that's fair to say. Hmm. It was good, man. All right, so let's get into it. We were talking about uh, one of the topics that I'd like to get into is your take on types of business entities and how you file. So we filed for an LLC for BOB Media, and wife's company is an LLC. And first episode of the podcast was Uncle Polly, and Uncle Polly is a sole proprietor because he has a unique perspective on business and what will come of the business. And I know that you and he have had strong disagreements mm -hmm. on that. 
Mm-hmm. So what's your, what's your take on the sole proprietor versus liability partner versus the LLC versus the S Corp versus the C Corp? And we can talk about taxes later, but just in terms of, of all the choices you have when you file for a company, you have a couple of what influences that decision. Oof. And I don't, I don't know as I would be the right person to, to dig up the taxes and be educated on every, like every facet of that or facet of that, you know, the sole proprietorship. Yeah. He and I have had words about that because you, you are not protected. There's no corporate veil. If you make an error or someone decides that they need to take legal action against you as a sole proprietor, as I understand it, they are coming after you personally as opposed to your company. And you personally means all of your assets as well. You know, he does have a unique perspective on that and I disagree with him, but sole proprietorship is probably, I think, in these days, probably not a smart move. You know, I, I, I just, I feel like it, they're, they're, is less legal protection when you're a sole proprietor. That's my take on it. Well, I know you have experience in that area, but what do you think the likelihood is of legal action actually happening unless yeah. you get to a certain size? Yeah. So I, I've had experience in this particular. Uh, you can talk about it if you want. Um, yeah. But I'm, my curiosity is, so he's a one-man shop. He mm-hmm. may have one, maybe two employees. Is he really going to get big enough that somebody would want to sue him? As far as I know, it costs about 300 bucks to file a lawsuit. And once you file one, the opposing party has to deal with it. You have to. You can't, you can't just throw your hands up in the air and say, yeah, I'm not going to show up, right? You'll end up with a judgment against you. So if someone wanted to get back at you or to do something that was, you know, even without meaning, it costs them 300 bucks to do that. And I suppose, sure, you could probably countersue and you probably win and blah, blah, blah. But it's a, it's a lot to deal with. No, it is. It's, I'm just, I'm looking at your perspective because uh, I went with an LLC mostly for tax reasons because you can file as an S Corp. Correct. And the S Corp adds as a pass through so that Correct. you can, you can kind of blend your expenses. And I think that's the value of an S Corp is it allows somebody that's getting into business, the opportunity to, I don't know if it's fair to say creative accounting, but if you work for somebody, you get one stream of income, and that's yep. it. You, you don't that's have it. any recourse to come back and say, uh, as far as federal and state authorities, no, no, this is how my money is moving around. But yep. when you form a business, your business has expenses, you have expenses, the idea that you can separate one from the other. Now you could do an entire episode on Citizens United and corporations or people. I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But I do like the idea that a business is a business and a person is a person. Now, if that person is an asshole, then you would hope that there's a way to get around that or you just wait for them to keep filing businesses. But that's, there's a double-edged sword there because I think, I think our president has 512 corporations. I heard that. Yeah. And he just moves money around. And it's not illegal. No, it's not illegal. And you think to yourself, all right, so is there some malfeasance there? Is there some, some weaselry? You know, is there a little douchebaggery going on or is it just simply these are the rules? And once you learn the rules of the game, I mean, as a New England Patriots fan, I don't have a leg to stand on if I (laughs) criticize somebody for understanding the rules of the game and playing them. I think it's the rules of the game. One of my favorite plays, uh, one of my favorite plays that the Patriots did was, I don't remember who they were playing as the Saints or or somebody, but uh, they were like, they were down on the five yard line and it was a goal line stand. There was a guy on the opposing team that had like one foot on the field and he's sitting there trying to talk to his coach going, what do you want to do? What, what play are we running? And he was kind of on the field and kind of wasn't, but he was the 12th man. Yep. So according to the rules, 
too many men on the field. Belichick's like, now, 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 now. And they, and they hiked the ball and they ran the play and boom. They got a free five yards. They got the first down and they went on to get the touchdown. And you look at that and you go, wow, man, that dude was on the field for four seconds. Yeah. But, yep. you know, you understand the rules. So, you know, for anybody who's listening to this that wants to get into a business is you pay a couple hundred dollars. Uh, you could go through LegalZoom or you could go through any other corporate entity, but you end up paying a couple hundred dollars and boom, you're a corporation. Yep. We tend to go through attorneys with ours. Um, and, and it's really more just full service. It's really... You know, I don't know if it's any better or any of that, but you know, I think we pay yeah, like 1100 bucks, 800 bucks in that range. And an attorney will do it all for you. You don't learn as much. You know what I mean? When you go through a legal zoom, you actually probably learn more. So that's probably a, it's actually probably a good first one to do. Yeah. Right well, there. you get some, get some nice pieces here. They give you the, um, they give you the flashy corporate marketing pieces. So you get a lot of nice uh, full color brochures, so to speak. They go through and they do all of the standard articles. They yep. do your corporate resolution. So this is the operating agreement, allocations, distribution, so on and so forth. Membership, voting, meetings, withdrawal and transfer of membership interest. So it's all above board. You get what you pay for. So when the wife went through uh, our mutual friend in Irvine, she got a nice kind of leather or pleather bound and the red book yeah the big red, the red book, book. Like, yeah she went through again and for forming her arizona llc after we moved she got another one a nice big red book uh i got a white peachy folder <laughs> here's my stock certificates here's my nice bound and stapled health guide to your limited liability corporation wow yeah, I mean, it's this. This is the height limited of liability. Fancy. I don't have to do sh- no. Yeah, so the, the whole idea was I could have did this, or I could have paid seventy five dollars for the nice big red book. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. This is. I mean, I got to generate revenue first before it matters. Yeah, you got to scan it in, right? You're just gonna scan it in, put it on the cloud drive. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all well and good to have a corporation and be the owner of a corporation, get a business card that says CEO and founder. And it's like, fuck yeah. Some American Psycho stuff right there. Yeah, but then <laughs> not making any revenue, so I don't have any expenses to offset my profits. So, yeah, yeah, at some point you do, you do go into business to generate, you know, generate some scratch. You want to, yeah. you want to do this. Uh, but I think it's definitely a benefit. So my my curiosity was the types of businesses because I know you've started umpteen million of them. Too many of them. Some work, some Too don't. But that's that's not the point. Yep. Yeah. So going back to LLC and, and, and S, I mean, that's really, it's really about taxes, I think. And when you have an S corp, there's some partnership stuff and some, uh, if you have partners, there has to be like a legal um, even split. There's some, there's some rules around that, but you know, lately we just reformed as an LLC. So we just take, took one of our S corps and reformed as an LLC, just like you guys did. It's easier. You just turn in a schedule C at the end of the year for your taxes. What did you spend? What did you bring in? You give that to your accountant and he just does it. Whereas an S corp, you have to do a business filing in addition to your personal filing. So with an S corp, you have two tax returns. Yep. With an LLC, you have one, your personal and that rolled into one. I think that's the case. Which I think is going to be. I think that's the case. I could uh, be wrong. That's, well, that's going to be her Arizona corporation. Yeah. Um, and when we talk together in a later episode, we can try and get into that because I know that, that your lady has some perspective and, and I want the girls to get in and talk about what it's like for them. Because um, we be- always talk business, right? Mm-hmm. 
like you and me and Uncle Polly and and uh, a couple other guys, we get together and we and we talk about this all the time. My wife doesn't talk about it. Did yours talk about it before you came along? She had a business before I met her. She did? Okay. Yeah, she did. Well, we'll have to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah, she's probably got some uh, some very good perspective on that uh, and what it's like to be in that seat. You know, she's, well, I mean, get off topic, but, um, you know, she's cold, cold stone murderer, business <laughs> starter, you know, uh, and can handle more no's than anybody that I know on this planet. Hey, I can no, take she's... a lot of no's when we went to the bar. I was pretty good in that department. <laughs> hey, you want to go out with me? No. Okay, cool. I'm going to go to the next one. Okay, so that's good. This You gave me something to, to hit on here. So the uh, she is a phenomenal contact salesperson. She does cold calling extremely well, but it's because you developed a system of cold calling. Now, this is the part where I want you to un, unfurl it all, if you don't mind. What What is your theory and system on cold calling, and does it apply to multiple industries or just to the specific one that you formed it under? Oh man, that's a, that's a, that's a big topic. Is it proprietary information or are you, no. you willing to share? No. And I, I've been bugging her to write a book on it too, by the way. Um, she should. She really should. And, and really, so there's a couple of different, there's a couple of different answers to the, what seems to be one question that you just had. And it's really a, like maybe more like three questions in one. The first one was, you know, what is it? What is this system you developed? It really isn't something that I developed. It's just called a sales process. And I think that you know, that's as old as the hills, but not everybody follows it. Not everybody has a process. And, um, you know, in my opinion, human beings on the other end of the phone or other end of the email or other end of whatever way you reach your potential client, human beings are the same, right? So you can template your message and you can template your strategy and, and roll that into a process. And I think, yeah, I think it's actually, you know, as relevant today as it ever was. So that was one your first question was, um, you know, what is this system? I think it's just a sales process. It's actually having one. Um, and the second piece to that is that, and I think this is more relevant now than it used to be. You've got to break things down into really small, digestible, I, I, I say chunks, but it's really steps, right? So when you call somebody or you contact somebody, you know, maybe your first step is finding out, are they the right person to talk to? Okay, yeah, that sounds basic, but if you're going to do 20 calls a day, the goal of your call is to find the right person. Okay, so that's step one. And then mixing in what's step two? Okay, are they the right fit for your company? Well, how do you find that out? Just breaking that down into steps and then you have an actual, you have a process to work against, which means you can do lots and lots and lots of sales work because you can say, hey, I'm going to do 20 calls today or 40 calls. But depending on where that person was in the process, that was the only thing you did with them. So you could rack out 40 calls, just finding out if or, or who the right person was to talk to. To me, it's a mistake to say, I'm going to make 40 calls and I'm going to try to close 40 people. It's just too much. Part that I remember was your process was broken up into multiple steps. And we're talking between five mm -hmm. and eight steps. And the idea is, I don't know that you ever turn down business or turn down the call, but I when most people do cold calling, the reason that they dread it so much is because they expect that every single call has to go to a certain point. Yes, I'm pointing at you because that is exactly it. It can't expect the call to go to a certain point. Just get it to the next step and then you're done with it. In a rare case, sometimes it'll skip a step or two. Okay, fine. You know, that happens, but your goal is not, just like I said, it's not not to call and close somebody on the first call. It just doesn't work that way. I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to Bottle of Brown. 
My hope is that you were enjoying listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. You can email us here at the podcast at bottleofbrown at gmail.com to submit content ideas, new browns for us to check out, if you're interested in advertising, or to correct anything we reference incorrectly. We are drinking, after all. You can also find us on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find those links to social media on bottleofbrown.com. During this time of COVID, I want you to know that I appreciate you as a listener, and I'm very happy to have you as a part of the Bob community. I just read a case story on Under Armour. Under Armour came into the game back in the 90s, I think. Under Armour's whole deal was we do apparel for professional athletes. And so they went right to the top. They grabbed all the professional athletes. They grabbed people that were interested in sport, that lived sport. They were they were active people. And so they immediately landed a whole bunch of really good spokespeople and the brand started to get out there. And before you knew it, Under Armour started to be a thing. Now we thought it was those wicking shirts. And that was basically how we as untrained consumers saw the brand. Yeah, I would say we did. But the brand started to expand. So it wasn't just those wicking shirts, it was performance wear. So there was a couple of different fabrics. They got into shirts, they got into pants, jackets, they got into shoes. And that's when it started to take off. And that's when they started to eat into Nike. Fast forward into the mid to late 2000s, even after the Great Recession, when everything fell apart, Under Armour came roaring back. And the irony of it was they continued to go after elite athletes. Right around that time, you had like Lululemon, The Gap, and, and a bunch of other companies coming on the scene that were doing athleisure wear, mm. which was basically yoga pants, board housewives that wanted to look athletic. Yoga pants. That started to tap into your 80%, right? What the case study I read said is Under Armour missed a key opportunity here. When people started wearing Under Armour that didn't run a mile every day and didn't have uh, all of these grand athletic ambitions, they missed a portion of the market they capitalized on. And they really, they caught Nike on their heels because what this case study said was all of the metrics, everything pointed to them being able to really do a knockout punch on Nike. Nike is all marketing. They are the king shit on Turd Island. If you go to business school and you take any classes in marketing whatsoever, everybody points to Nike. Do they? Like Apple is amazing at marketing, but it's also phenomenal product design. Yeah, I would so agree with that. If you look at the iPhone or the iPad or, or one of their computers or even the Apple Watch, you look at it and you go, that's, that's fucking beautiful. When you look at Nike, all due respect to the product managers who are running that tech, it's a shirt. A shirt is a shirt. A pair of pants is a pair of pants. You know, you can get Costco special Nike sneakers that are, that are shit. Mm-hmm. And there's probably some really, really nice stuff that Nike makes. But what they do is they manage to leverage that swoosh. They got the Just Do It campaign. They got Michael Jordan. They got, I mean, they, in, in terms of how can we sell our sneakers over anybody else's, everything was phenomenal storytelling. So you have this gigantic behemoth of a company who is worldwide. They're probably one of the most successful multinationals in modern history. And then all of a sudden, this little upstart that makes very niche products for a very elite group of individuals. How many mm-hmm. professional athletes do you think in the world? Probably in the hundreds? Maybe thousands, maybe. Yeah, may, maybe thousands. But you're talking about 0.0001 of, of the global population. Yeah. You go after this tiny, tiny, tiny segment of people, and that allows you to gain a foothold in the minds of people that look at that and they go, Wow. If that makes them perform like that, or they feel that that apparel has some performance capabilities, to me, who doesn't exercise at all, it must at least give me something. Yep. It must be the equivalent of getting in the room. We all like that, don't we? You know, and then eventually you get the rock and you get all of these good celebrity endorsements and you really, you got an opportunity to to take out Nike. And what the case study said was they fell flat on their face because they didn't lower their prices. They didn't do a lower tier offering. 
They kept it premium. They kept it expensive and basically said, this is who we are. This is who we're always going to be. But they ignored the fact that the market had changed and the preference of the consumer had changed. They could have made it cheap under armor, like under under armor, and they could have priced it accordingly. And they could have probably stolen Nike, especially around the time when Nike was going through all the Me Too stuff. Like that was the moment. If you were going to strike and take out a major player, that was it. I might have made the same mistake. I tend to march to that single drum. This is who we are. It doesn't mean it's right. It's a compelling brand story and it works. When you start to realize that your non-customer is buying, Mm -hmm. you go to the non-customer and you go, why'd you buy that? Yeah. And the non-customer goes, man, I'm not that guy, but I like what that says. Then you start getting out of the actual technical specs of the shirt into the idea of that type of shirt represent lifestyle, fashion, in all those areas. So a good lesson that I've always taken that is the second you see your non-target customer buy something, jump on it. Who are you? Tell me all about you. Where did you come from? That's very interesting. If you don't have your head in the clouds high on being the elite of the elite in your industry. At some point, you should be aware of your customer changing. Mm-hmm. And that's when you should pivot. Like your software company is a very specific package. Crazy specific. But if all of a sudden that functionality was valuable to another segment, mm-hmm. it'd be worth it to you to do a little bit of changes to cater it to that segment and maybe reskin it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny because we have another, there's another bolt on to that product that I think has some military applications. And that's exactly what you do is you tweak it a bit, cater it a bit, and then you use the word reskin. Most people think that that's like the easiest thing in the world, but yes, you would reskin it and remarket it, pull out a third product for sure. So when I think of reskinning, you do a separate color palette, you adjust some of the design layout, maybe change the shape of the button, but ideally the functionality is the same. It's the same. It's the same. The, the, the core engine is probably the same. And that the easiest example I can think of since you're from Michigan is GMC and Chevy. For a while, it was Mercedes and Dodge. For a while, it was Fiat and Chrysler. I mean, for a while, you had markedly, right now, it's Chevrolet and Cadillac are identical. I mean, we're, we're shopping for a Cadillac right That's now. That's right. We're you are, the, aren't you? We're looking at the XT6, and the XT6 and the Traverse are basically the same car. So you can get the bargain basement zero everything Cadillac XT6, or you can go over to the Chevy website and you can type in every single checkbox for a Traverse. And you're going to end up with a car that is probably similarly priced, but there's no way it's the same. Like you don't have as much insulation in the doors. You don't have fake wood and chrome accent pieces. You you just Mm. don't have it. The way you reskin a Cadillac is underneath it's a Chevy, but they do a separate paint scheme so that you get a deeper gloss finish on the paint. You know, maybe they'll do alloy wheels instead of steel. Like there's little tiny things they do that you don't notice. And after this thing is over, buying a car is going to be a completely different experience than it ever was. Interesting. What do you do? Can you be more specific? I'm curious. I get the, I get the LinkedIn news blast every day and it comes with four or five stories and you can click on them. And, and what's fun is LinkedIn will find anybody that did a hashtag of that story and it'll pull up their post. There was one on the car industry and how car dealerships are evolving, like forced evolution. And you see guys from Kansas, from Utah, from Montana, from Ohio, and they're saying, I don't know how any of this is ever going to work again. You know, like my commission's been slashed, or I was one of the ones that got to work from home, or, you know, I didn't get furloughed, or there's some people walking onto the lot saying, I'll take the car for 50% off. Uh, And there's some real panic there, because now you got to figure it out. The, The person cannot come to the lot. Now, there's good things about the car buying experience where you get you get some concierge service they'll walk you around they'll give you a free cup of coffee they'll they'll stroke you a little bit yeah 
then they'll drag you into the finance drag office. You through the mud. Yeah. There's some nice elements of the process, but then there's the there's the horrible elements. So one one guy said, This may finally be the tipping point where we start showing transparency and real humanity in our in our industry. He says people need to understand that zero down and sign and drive are nothing alike. He says, and the secrets that we keep from people in order to close a sale, this is the time now when my industry is finally gonna be transparent. Hmm. And you're reading that on LinkedIn going, dude, that's, you published your name, man. Yeah, <laughs> you betrayed the brethren. Yeah, yeah but, but if it's that desperate that you got people coming out saying, this is wrong, this is the way it needs to be. It's really gonna end up being a relationship game. Like you're really gonna go back to the same guy and buy a car from him again because of the guy, you know, and when you get dragged into the finance office and the finance guy just starts dragging you through all this bullshit. I hate that. Dude, I hate the process. I can't stand it. Right. The the vehicle itself is the experience I'm looking for. And you're just a that. barrier of me getting it. Yep. Like if I could buy the car from Cadillac, I would. There's some really, really good guys in that industry, but they aren't doing anything about the really, really bad ones. And so there, there's a number of there's a number of groups, professional groups that have a horrible image and it's just a PR problem. It's like, you guys got to go after the bad apples and you got to do something about it. You know, you catch a guy being a sleaze on a lot, you got to get rid of him. Yep. Got to go. No, there's no place for that. If you want to improve your image, that's, that's how you got to do it. You got to get rid of the bad apples. The key component of getting the Cadillac was the entertainment system, because that seems to be one of the sticking points. And when you look at other car manufacturers, they simply go, no, we don't. Yep. We don't We don't watch kids watching TV. It's mostly foreign cars. The American cars get it. The American cars all have TVs. They all have DVD players. They all want the kids to plug in their, their iPads and play video games. Like the Americans get it. Screens. <laughs> When you look at the Koreans or the Japanese or even the Germans, they're straight up like, no, why would you want your child watching a video? Interesting. Have you guys decided to lease or buy or no? Uh, we haven't come to that conclusion yet. And I think most of that has to do with part of what we were talking about earlier is how do you, how do you figure the taxes on that? I, I got it. I mean, I got it right away. The way I understand it, when you work for a company and you have to use your own asset, you can bill the company back for mileage because it's your asset being used at the company expense. So the company pays you mileage for it. Yep. Or the company pays for your gas. And that is a legitimate business expense for a privately owned asset. So when you have your own car, you buy it, you pay for it. But the company borrows it from you. Yeah. And this is the part where people don't understand business. And this is one of the reasons why finance needs to be taught in schools so that people better understand it. Nothing changes. It's all in a spreadsheet. And it all has to do with how you report it to the government. That's the hardest part for people to understand how business works. Like business is numbers. If you don't understand numbers, you're not going to understand business. It doesn't matter if you have the best product in the world. If you manage the company poorly, the product won't save you. Yes. When you think about owning a car, the way that you figure it out from a business standpoint is that you lease the car back to the business and the business pays you for it. Uh, you, you you can and should do that too, by the way. The business can take care of the entire lease payment. Yeah, that was something I think was a little questionable because it was regarding functional use. So if you only use it for business, it's 100%. But if you use it at all for personal, you have to take a percentage. Exactly. And, and the, I think, you know, at least our accountant would say, you know, you just, just honestly figure out a percentage and just do that, right? So if you have a, not that you would have a $1,000 payment just for a round number. If you have a $1,000 payment, 
and you use it for business 50% of the time, then you can write off 500 bucks. I, I feel like it's an easier way to do than tracking mileage, but you can also get paid mileage in addition to that. Mileage, gas, and, and at some point you can figure out a way to amortize that. But again, that goes back to expenses taken against revenue. So if your business isn't generating you have to have revenue, revenue, yeah, you have yeah. to have revenue to put, to put it against. Yeah. Otherwise, you're yeah, running out of loss. Yeah, doesn't pay you for money you don't put in. Yeah, that doesn't. <laughs> so by the way, one quick note on that. Here's what we're finding. And I'd be willing to bet that yours is the same. I think we're going to turn that thing back in with about half the miles on it. And it's only a 10,000 mile lease per year. You know, take that into account. Are you really going to drive that vehicle as much as you think you are? I'll bet you're not. And that's it. We talked about it. Like, we're going to turn this thing in, dude. It's going to be two and a half years old. It could have had up to 30,000 miles. I'll bet you we turn it in with 12. 13,000. You look at that and go, okay, well, shoot, dude, who needs to buy a good car? Cause we're not going to get crap for that. You know what I mean? Again, it's, it's an assessment of value. Like I'm trying to teach this, the now eight year old about value. And we go to Costco and we look at bounty versus Kirkland. And I say, all right, look at the, look at the big number. And he goes, yeah. I said, you notice how the big number is close to the other one? He said, yeah. So they're the same as no. Look at the small number. And that's the per sheet number or the per linear foot number. Yeah. I said, and that's when it's different. I'm trying to teach him what exactly is value. I said, do you think those paper towels are any different? And he says, no. I said, probably not. In fact, they're probably the same paper towel. I said, but the reason you don't see six skids of bounty is because people assume that because it has a brand name, it must be higher quality or it must be this or it must be that because Kirkland yep. is not likely to buy or pay for a significant product, especially if they're going to lose margin. The irony is that just like Amazon, they make it up in volume. But when the light bulb went off in his head of understanding how that works, and then uh, my favorite maxim from business school is the big print giveth and the small print taketh away. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I've um, never heard that. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. He got he got a kick out of that. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna pivot real quick. That whiskey pig started to poke you. Actually, I wanna I really like this stuff. I wanna keep going. <laughs> that's the way alcohol usually works, right there. This is, this is no, I mean this is really really good. <laughs> Until stuff. So, the next day. Well, yeah, I mean, tomorrow's gonna. Well, this is pretty good. I think I'm gonna keep going with this. <laughs> it has it has a really good <laughs> nose to it when I first opened it. Yeah. But you know now I'm getting to the point where it's like I got a little bit of ice left. And you got to pace yourself because the next thing you know, you drink a whole bottle and you wake up feeling like an asshole. So I'm going <laughs> to naked in somebody's front lawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, oh, you were there. <laughs> I didn't know how we got to hugging those. <laughs> <laughs> he told me he loved me. <laughs> I say that to our little one all the time. I'm like, Hey, you want to go and hug that cactus over there? No, daddy. No, I, no. <laughs> Okay, so I, would, I want to get into that because I think that's really funny. We're, I'll, I'll save my other pivot. We'll jump to this pivot right now. <laughs> Whenever my four-year-old is standing two feet from the television, yep. I immediately go to Chappelle. Which and one? I go to the P. Diddy sketch where he's got a house full of musicians. And I think about uh, Dylan, top five rappers of all time, man. Dylan, 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 and Dylan because I spit hot fire. And then there's a spot where Wyclef Jean shows up and he's like the guest producer. Yeah. You can see Chappelle in there as Dylon trying to record on the mic. And Wyclef Jean comes up and goes, what? 
it's not your turn in the studio, man. What are you doing? And he's like, no, I'm spitting hot fire, man. And he goes, no, it's not your turn in the studio. And he pauses and then he lunges at him and he grabs his neck and he goes, you're too close, man. <laughs> so every time my four-year-old stands two feet away from our 60-inch television, I say that from the back of the room, you're too close, man. <laughs> so what's really funny now is he's saying that. He gets it, yeah. He's saying that to his eight-year-old brother. You're too close, man. <laughs> and I thought of what you're teaching yours. <laughs> hey, I know what you're going to say, and she says it all the time, you know, because we're home now, right? <laughs> we're home all the time. And so she'll come and knock on the bedroom door, you know, and I'll say, honey, I have to work. I, I can't do whatever it is you want to do right now. Usually it's unlock the iPad. And she's, and she's like, but, but, but and I'm like, I have to work right now. And then I swear to God, it's like a daily thing. She's like, because you have to make the money Lebowski. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I say, yes, I need to make the money Lebowski. <laughs> Fantastic. They always remind us of how awesome we are. We still want the money Lebowski. <laughs> she said it today. That was a, that was an episode we went to. I, I did I did catch her say it once. It was very funny. That little mouth. <laughs> have to make the money. Are your kids good, are crazy. That was a good segue. Yeah, they're um, we're trying to split them up. We're trying to keep one in her office and one in my office, and we're trying to keep them busy during the day. Yeah, I mean the challenge is we don't want them on screens, but we need them doing something. I will rail against the teachers' union. And I will say horrible things about the Department of Education. But when you actually think about what it takes to be a teacher uh -huh. and what they do for these kids, hats off to them, man. I mean, they, yeah, they get paid shit. And I agree with that. They get paid shit. They, they do not earn the value that they create yep. in a true yep. economic model. Yep. Uh, so I, I'm very fond of both of my kids' teachers. <clears throat> I thought I appreciated them before. I have a new appreciation for them now just for putting up with them all day. And I love my children. But I mean, I, I'm reading these anecdotes online and everybody else is going through the same thing. How do you keep them busy and get something done? And that's most of the challenge. It's tough. And how, how are you guys dealing with that? I mean, you guys, have, you guys have really hustling careers going. I mean, I have a longer term outlook. It's more strategic. So my day job allows me to be a little bit more flexible in terms of creative output and completing tasks. But how, how are you dealing with it? I, you know, we're lucky. We're lucky that uh, Jen's mom lives with us. So she does, she takes care of Penny during the day and a few times throughout the day, she escape upstairs to bang on our doors but we're lucky in that sense the screen time thing is not easy to avoid and it's not good but you know I, jen and i say this all the time it doesn't mean we always practice it but boredom is a skill in my opinion and it's a skill that you and i and others like us who grew up without the internet i don't want to say we mastered it but we we had to practice it quite a bit more you know so when she cries about the ipad and i just have had you watch too much tv i don't care if you're you call it a TV or call it an iPad or call it a phone, it's TV or it's screen time, you know? And she's like, oh, and then decides to tear the house up. <laughs> but you know what? That's fine. Cause in the long run, it's actually better for you. So we try to, the whole point of that conversation was we try our best to teach boredom as a skill. And if that involves some temper tantrums, well, so be it. Uh, we don't always win that battle, but uh, we try. That's how we're dealing with it. I think that's an excellent way to look at it. It's not so much that boredom is a skill, but managing boredom is a skill. Yeah, dude, when you're a kid, man, it's, it, I mean, dude, I, I, I could easily burn an hour or two on Google just looking around at stuff. 
at nothing, right? So can a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Does that mean it's good for you? Probably not. And today I tried a very thoughtful experiment of I separated them. No, I did that yesterday. And I thought it paid dividends today. I sent the eight-year-old upstairs and I said, you do whatever you want. I said, I trust you. You just be creative. The TV's off. The four-year-old I had doing workbooks. So he, he's got to count. He's got to spell. He's got to write. He's got to go through his thing. Um, but eventually he gets bored. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I go, okay, well, stay downstairs. He's like, why? It's just stay downstairs. I don't want you hanging out with your brother. Yep. And that was an experiment because whenever they're near each other, they play well until they don't. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've seen it. And there's, you're right. Everything is fine until it's not fine. And then it goes. Something territorial or a land grab or something dramatic to the a point land where, grab. Yeah, it's like, like oh, dude, you get off my cushion or that's mine yeah. or mine, yeah. mine, 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 mine. It's, it's fucking two of everything in this goddamn house. It's, you know what? We get that. Because like we've psychologically manipulated our children to teach them that one thinks his favorite color is blue and one thinks his favorite color is green so we can separate everything. Today in the pool, the four-year-old's like, I don't like green. My favorite color is orange. <laughs> since when? Is it since 68? Oh, it's in 68. All right, we're good. So, so orange? I said, the well, orange? there's no, there's no orange in that thing you're fighting your brother over. He's, right, because my favorite color is black. <laughs> and then the eight-year-old fires back and goes, that thing that you should be playing with has black on it. You know, it's just like, guys, give it a rest. <laughs> we get that a little bit with the dog. Just a tiny, tiny. I can see that. Glimpse I can see that. that. Yeah, but she's sitting see. on my pillow, and I'm like, "It's not your pillow." Yeah, it, yeah, and you probably get it. The part that um, the part that the wife and I laugh about is after a, a major blow up or some kind of altercation where logic has been thrown out the door, we get into some form of he wasn't sharing. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to share. Sharing is caring. And I got to the point where I just went to him and I said, listen, everything in this house is mine. <laughs> I afford you the right to play with it. <laughs> Therefore, I want you to share because you do not own it. I own it. It is mine. I paid for it. Or I issue a tax on licensing rights because you dwell here. <laughs> That's but it's... That's corporate, corporate parenting right there. It's, it's, yeah. it's like, come on, guys, just stop. I mean, and you know the eight-year-old. He's the future senator of Arizona. He's just, you, yep. you have to hit him on some logical level or he'll just take you to town. Yeah, like, yeah, he buddy, will. Like, buddy, it's 7 o'clock. you got to sit down and eat. It's like, no, it's 6.58. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to take those fucking two minutes out of your ass. <laughs> he is that way. He's super brilliant that way. He'll just wear you down. Where are you down? I'll, I'll, to be honest, I'll take the brilliance, but it is really taxing. I have a question. It, you know, I mean, obviously, in these times, you're catching up on movies, which, by the way, I watched Predator the other day, and Predator's fucking awesome. I bought it. Preach. You know what's even best about that? And another segue of a segue is that I bought it on Amazon on the Fire Stick. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pay $7.89 for the Predator because I just like Predator. I want to watch it. <laughs> But when it popped up, it said, hey, confirm your picture. And it had credit card up there. And I'm like, is this my account? I don't know. I just want to watch Predator. So I just hit buy. And I don't know how, but it was in my Amazon account with her card. So that kind of worked out good. Uh, when she walked in the house, I said, hey, you just bought me Predator. Did you know that? <laughs> but here's my, here's my segue or my question. So I watch Starship Troopers. 
you have the main character who goes into the army for a girl, the hot girl, Denise Richards, the girl next door, who's really probably who he should end up with, the tough one, the football player. And that's how that story plays out. I'm going to go after this girl, but I really should be with this girl. In the end, he ends up with that girl. Did they just copy that for Teen Wolf? Isn't that the same exact story? I think it's one of those stories that will live on time immortal. Yeah. If you yeah. if you chase after the hot girl and you miss what's right in front of you, you're missing everything. You're missing everything. Yep. Yeah, I mean that was the that was a beautiful mind. That was essentially his theory on on game theory is if you go after what's unattainable without realizing what's right in front of you, you lose. Hmm. Like if you watch a beautiful mind again, I need to watch it again. They actually do a a session of what I think won him the Nobel Prize was his his treatise on game theory, which was pretty much me and three of my buddies look at the blonde and the white sweater across the bar. If all four of us go for the blonde and the white sweater, we're all going to lose. Yet if yeah. we take a step back and we take four pretty good lesser girls, we'll all go home and we'll all get some. Yep. And I think that was his treatise on game theory. But it's, it's a story as old as time itself. Of If you chase after something shiny without realizing that you got something pretty good, you know, the grass is always greener. There's, there's a ton of parables that I think apply to it. Um, I'm looking for this quote that I really, really, really liked, and I can't find it because it's an action movie, so they're only doing all the action quotes. What movie? Um, I'm going back to Starship Troopers. Dude, what a great... And, uh, again, I'm going to fucking paraphrase here because I'm not going to get it right, but in, in whoever's listening to this is probably going to understand it better than I am, or I'll understand it later after the whistle pig is worn off. <laughs> <laughs> Whistle pig, whistle pig, lip. No. <laughs> when he was a teacher, he was sitting there talking about politics and what is the difference between a citizen and a civilian. And yep. what he was talking about was what it means to be a person self sacrificing for the state. Now, that gets into a very strong allegory about war. Are you willing to, quote, serve your country? Oh, man, this could go deep right here. Okay. It could go deep. I don't want to go deep. I don't get it. There's okay. one that I, that I particularly get into. Now, with politics, you do it every term. You do it every two years, every four years, so on and so forth. But when you do it as a civilian in an economic sense, like I vote every day. I vote against Walmart because I don't shop at Walmart. And it's nothing okay. against Walmart. It's just there's stuff that I like at Target that I think is better and the prices is Competitive. Blah, blah, blah. Sure. So I can find something that I think has marginal price increase and slightly higher marginal value. So I shop at Target. I don't go to Walmart. But economically, I'm voting against Walmart and I'm voting for Target. I suppose. So if you go into the theory of public versus private, you can vote with your wallet every day. But in a political sense, you vote every two years, every four years, every six years. So if you don't like somebody, stuck with them for four years because yep. you only get to vote once yep so i really loved that take on it and they go into that stuff really really deep in the book hmm. about the concept of voting and what it means to vote and what it means to have the right to vote because if you look at some of the legislation coming up before the supreme court this year it's whether or not electors are allowed to go against their state and you would think no, they're not. Isn't that the purpose of the popular vote is to- I've said this for years, state dude. votes? 
the popular vote does not mean sh yeah, I mean the popular vote means dick. It it's means the electoral dick. college. Right. So here's the thing is electors can go against yes, the will they can. of their state. And yes, they can. Fuck. That's up for, for the Supreme Court this year. We laugh about this dumb B movie with, um, like it's, a, it's an extremely entertaining movie with people who actually do a pretty good job. Yep. But the underlying political narrative, I think, gets lost. So I, I, I know what you're talking about. You were talking about MPH. and Anyway, man, as we're rounding third, it's getting late, but this was fun. Yeah. I'm rounding third. Yep. Did you dig it? It was fun. Yeah, I dug it as well. And then in a couple of days, probably like on Saturday, I think we're going to do this with the wives. Are we? Is it planned? Yeah, I think so. I yeah, think I, let's do it. it. Cheers. Yep. Hopefully we'll be by this whole bullshit soon. Yeah, a couple of weeks probably, but who knows? Anyway, man, take care. All right, brother. Cheers. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>